Thank you so much for checking out another podcast. I hope it's your second, third, fourth, or fifth one that you're checking out. If you're new here, my name is not disclosed by myself. This is This Guy Edits, and I'm here with my buddy, Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Hello, everybody. He does not want to keep his name a secret. He just wants to not introduce himself. That's right. So this is Sven Papa, the man who needs an introduction. And thank you to the listeners. We had a lot of growth last week in the podcast, so thanks for telling your friends, letting them know to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you might be listening to it on, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Sven has this great link he's created in which you can go find the app that suits you, uh, and we appreciate it. Totally. It seems like we doubled from the previous one, which I think has to do with our City of God episode, actually, which now on the YouTube channel, that bonus video that Dennis created, seems to be picked up by the YouTube algorithm because it's a steady grower, and right now it's looking like it's going to just keep on growing. Yeah, and the, the moral is that that was a suggestion taken from a listener, and we should do that more, which I don't think we're doing this week. No, but yeah, every time we did, it sort of made a made a dent in our growth. So we had Mood for Love, which also was a really successful episode, and City of God, even bigger. Yeah, and we also this week are not doing what we said we would last week, which was a movie, a scene from a movie on Filmstruck, because it turns out after all our talk and you know notable filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson and... Guillermo del Toro and Barbara Streisand hopping on board the train to protest the closing of Filmstruck. Turns out Sven himself, not not a Filmstruck subscriber. Never was. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't want it to be outed. But he is making a pledge, folks. I'm making a pledge for him. If you sign the petition to save Pil- Filmstruck before the 29th of November, Sven will become a member Really? And we'll talk about a movie each week. Oh, I, I haven't been told that. But sure, I'll just have to like cancel something else, like Netflix or. Jeez, man! Now he's like now he's campaigning against Filmstruck. Seven dollars a month, I think it's for what we talk about on this podcast. Being exposed to new films, things you wouldn't have seen normally, it's well worth it. Fine, although you can't join. I'll do it. You can't. It's closing. If Filmstruck stays alive, I'll become a paying member. Did you hear that, listeners? Let the world know you got one. You got one. Nice. <laughs> so wow so Sven do you want to talk quickly about your your course or do you want to talk quickly about your trip your jump cut academy thing let's talk about the course I shot another day on an editing course that I'm currently doing this is my fourth day and um, sometime in the new year I'll be starting a course and it's all about not just how to become a storyteller I mean that's my focus on the channel but also how to become that kind of editor that people want to hire and something is beeping. Um, so the, 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 I noticed there are a lot of viewers on my channel asking, how do you really become a working editor? Like I send out resumes, I try and reach out to people I never hear back. It seems like I'm playing the lottery and it's not working. And that's really, in a way, that's not the experience that I had. And I think it has to do with the fact that you really need to brand yourself and work towards becoming a true storyteller that people see as an asset where actually you can really um, just wait and get calls. Like work is coming to you as opposed to you're trying to find work. And it's mainly through word of mouth with people that have great experience with you that really feel that your film is being elevated. 
So what's that, that's what that course is about, and it has several modules. One is storytelling, one is branding, and sort of your business as an editor, and that's what I shot yesterday. Well, that sounds super cool. It sounds like an extension of your How to Be a Wanted Editor totally. YouTube video. Totally. Just a whole cool, course just on figuring out like social skills. That's so huge. Like, are you really a good listener, or are you a whiner? Uh, I just heard... A, on my trip that we haven't talked about yet, I was sitting with a friend of mine who's a producer and I asked him, so how's it going on your next film that I didn't cut? And he's like, you know, the editor that we hired, we're not really that thrilled because he's, um, he's very protective. He always voices that he's really the only one that understands the poetry of the film. And that's really not something you want to say in front of the director because it should be the director who owns this film and who has the ultimate creative ownership of it. Yes, you are a huge collaborator, but um, you're not the one that's owning the film. You're contributing. And then just not like just not cleaning up the timeline, not doing the notes. They don't see these notes addressed and then there's an excuse. Yeah, I'm going to do that later. These are all like warning signs where a go-to editor, you would not have that kind of experience. You really want to like have that great relationship where people really feel like you are there to push this film forward and you're there to help them find the film. I would always tell my students who are working at a very different level in terms of the films they're doing, but they are working with first-time directors and they are working being first-time editors themselves. It's funny how you have to some, and maybe they're more experienced editors than the director are, but you often have to take the bad note and do the bad note in order to gain the director's trust. Exactly. And also, sometimes you're wrong. Often that bad note, it ends up working in a way you couldn't have imagined because you don't know anything. So it's like, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt to just try everything and then that's going to build that rapport and build that trust. Yeah, I actually, I did a video with Steve Halfish about like 10 tips the like the legendary film editors give. And one of them is mm -hmm. always do the note and even bad notes turn into good notes. So never really fight somebody on it, not try and talk your way out of it. Embrace it. See it as an opportunity to just try something new. And maybe that's not what the film needs, but surely it's an opportunity that something else could come out of it. And so the, yeah. this attitude and this like being able to be a listener and understanding when, when is your place to talk, which is most of the time your place is really to listen. Um, all this stuff, have an opinion, have a point of view, but be a true collaborator. All that stuff is part of this course that I'm teaching. So once we're past being a storyteller, which is really the most important reason why people hire you, that you are truly a storyteller. All the other factors are almost just as important. Yeah, and it's good to have a practical aim to a course, especially an online course, and that seems like a very pragmatic thing you can tangibly leave with is, is, is that specific skill, which is great. It is, and I should also mention we're actually cutting with real films, documentaries, and branded video pieces, so the exercises are all grounded in reality. And when will this be completed? Oh, geez. Uh, Mr. Cameron? <laughs> Mr. Cameron? We're going to be done shooting this year, and we're starting editing. I think we're going to have the course ready starting the new year. Like, January, February is when we're going to start talking about it. Very cool. Now, do you want to tell us what this trip is that you were on? You were, you were asked by Jump Cut Academy. Yes. Jump Cut is an organization that teaches people how to be better YouTubers. Um, they really 
put a focus on, I think they call themselves now Viral Academy, on creating online content. Not just Yuck. YouTube, but Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And it really, I was there from the beginning when they first started, and it really helped my channel. I mean, I, I grew so fast because of all the advice that I got from them and the, like something very specific. Like I did my third video. It was about Walter merch and um, like how the eyes really affect the blinking of the eyes, the editing. So I would have put that video out there and that would have been it. And it would have had a few hundred views, but I knew at that point already, no, you need to be more proactive about your content. You need to be talking to blogs about your content and so I sent out like 10 emails to people saying, hey, this is a really cool video. You should check it out. And got like two or three blogs to then share that. And then I went, I had like a thousand subscribers basically overnight because I was proactive about that. Now, this sounds like this is such an obvious thing. But if you're new to a medium and you're just worried about the content, you don't think about all the other things that you need to do to growth hack your stuff. Yeah. Find your audience. Speaking of which, because we did have a swell in, in listens last week, part of that is talking about Stonehenge. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> because that's the other thing I'm realizing is last week's episode was a Stonehenge episode. Anyone interested in the new features, uh, t Final Cut 10.4.4, there's a video I just got texted about that our friend Patrick Southern has posted on his LumaForge YouTube channel. You can check that out. Uh, I got Cut that same Pro. message just now. 10x4x4 <laughs> new features. I think that he gives pretty good overviews of this stuff and does a lot of videos explaining new equipment and software. Check it out. Totally. That said, should we talk about talk about being innovative and having a good editing relationship with your director? That kind of brings us to this week's episode, uh, this week's movie, edited by Barry Alexander Brown, who, of course, has been a collaborator with the director of Do the Right Thing, today's movie, Spike Lee, since nearly... Uh, his entire start. It was definitely, he definitely worked with him on school days. He definitely worked with him on Do the Right Thing and he's been with him more or less off and on through a lot of his greatest films, if not all of his films, all the way up to Black Klansmen, including Malcolm X, Crooklyn, Summer of Sam, 25th Hour, yes. Inside Man, Miracle at Santa Ana. I don't know if we'd call that his greatest film. <laughs> Old boy and... Uh, <laughs> How did I get negative so quick? Anyways, all those movies. Black Klansman. Totally. I actually got to meet the editor one time in New York at a seminar. And he Ooh. talked about the overlap action that is used or the over overlap edit in lots of Spike Lee movies where you repeat the action and he does it, I think, three times to just emphasize the impact of something. Can you think of an example? Well, 25th Hour is one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. And in there, for example, I mean, it's all over the film, but for example, when they um, see the dog that's like lying in the streets and it's all beat up and driven over, they bring that, they carry that dog into the car trunk. Like they sort of throw it in the car. That dog is like kind of aggressive. They um, close the trunk and the way that they do it is that they cut three times of them just smashing the trunk. <laughs> they do a repetitive cut of that, and it just emphasizes that, like, this is, like, the energy of that moment, that they're really scared that this dog is going to bite them, even though they're going to try to help it. Yeah, very similar to the moment in Battleship Potemkin where they decide to strike and they smash the plate. Anyhow, let's uh, set the movie up. Do the Right Thing is a 1989 American comedy drama produced, written, and directed by Spike Lee. 
And starring. It stars Lee and Danny Aiello, who got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Ossie Davis, Ruby D, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito. From Breaking Bad fame. Bill Nunn, John Turturro, and Samuel L. Jackson. It's also the feature film debut of Martin Lawrence and Rosie Paris. The story follows a Brooklyn neighborhood's simmering race, racial tension, which culminates in tragedy on a hot summer day. The film was a commercial success and it received numerous accolades, including Academy Award nominations for Best Original Screenplay and, as I said, Best Supporting Actor. It is often wow, listed... I just watched this whole movie. I didn't realize that was Giancarlo Esposito. That's amazing. Right. Uh, the film was deemed culturally and historically and aesthetically significant in its first year of eligibility by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. There you go. That's my setup. Yes, sir. Yes, it's a great film. It's amazing how I rewatched it recently, how it takes on deeper meaning and context, how a lot of the issues it's dealing with are, haven't changed a lot, which is very interesting. Uh, so it's great to check out. A lot of great social commentary in there. Not a firm. Spike Lee's not making a firm statement. It's more about asking questions, but being true to the questions that are being a asked. So it and it's incredibly well made also. It's an incredibly impressive piece of filmmaking. And, and I'm really happy that you picked this scene because it's not one of those iconic scenes where we could talk about some of like the bigger cinematic techniques that are somewhat innovative in there, like the way he match cuts at some points. This is like just a... For me, I think it's like a bread and butter scene is what I would call this. And there's actually some stuff that I noticed that I think is worth talking about. Well, good. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad this one was available. It, it's a scene I'm so, so I think it's going to be so valuable to talk about that uh, we didn't do a Filmstruck movie. And I also thought this was going to be on Filmstruck. But next week, Filmstruck only. Are you ready to do this, Ben? I'm ready. What are we doing? We are going to watch the clip. We're going to count down. You're going to hear three, two, click. The movie will begin. We will watch it, comment on what is happening, give a description of what's going on, and then go back and dissect it specific moments should the viewers watch with us they do not have to mm -hmm. but they're welcome but they to could. i think it's fun to listen personally to what's going on while i'm driving in my car going to the gym listen to the podcast visualize it think about it in a specific way and then go back and watch it with the commentary or check out the great companion videos dennis makes yeah but That's okay. we'll definitely include a link in the description that you can copy and paste and then you can watch it as we're watching it, or you can watch it first, stop the podcast right now, watch it first, and figure out what you notice, and then listen to us and see if it matches up. All right, so here we go. To set the scene up, this is just, we're really kind of getting to see Mookie at work. I think this is the first the first time we see him walk into the Sal's Italian pizzeria, and we're kind of getting to learn his relationships with the different, with the different characters of this family, and then also the mayor character. All right. Ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Oh, sorry. I didn't do it. So Mookie's walking in. We see Turturro. Doing some pizza boxes. Interesting greeting. He's still late. So Turturro is complaining that uh, Lee is not working hard enough. He wants him to sweep, and Lee says, no way, I'm paid to deliver pizza, I'm not doing it. 
Yeah, and everyone's passing the buck on the sweeping from the first scene that we see these characters. Passing around. And we're kind of getting to see different shades of Aiello's character, how he fits into the neighborhood. Right. So, uh, who's walking in? Do you know his name? This is a character I call the mayor. <laughs> okay. So this is a guy that's is just like trying to find some work, and Aiello is happy to have him pick the job, and he goes for the broom. Well, he's you know he wants some work, and they're kind of like get out of here. But then Aiello you know slips him a little money, and he's very excited to have it. So it's a cool kind of introduction to this character. Right. It really reveals like what the chemistry is between everybody. Right. Yeah. This, right. And then we kind of are going to be seeing some conflict rising a little bit. Yeah, it is Demare. Good Lord. Um, all right. So Taturo, we're kind of in this two-shot medium for a while. The slight movement on the camera, uh, which we should talk about. I really like yeah. that. And everything's very smooth, and then kind of as this conflict builds, we start to get into this. Gets a little quicker editing. Gets a little cutty here, which is fun, um, which is very obvious, but yet intentional. And then that's our scene. Yeah. All right. I don't know if Sorry, we did. That wasn't the best description. Yeah, we we did, we just sucked at describing this scene, but that's, it's okay. That's what we do on this show. We're gonna go back, and we're gonna talk about some. Some interesting stuff. So the first thing that I'd like to point out, if I may, is how we get into that scene. Notice how there's a dolly shot on uh, Lee walking into the pizzeria, and it's an incomplete dolly. And then we cut to Totoro, and there's also just like a hint of a pan or dolly that settles into the shot. And just the combination of those two shots is very, very telling in terms of throwing an edit. Let's take a look at that one more time. As he walks in? Yeah, as he walks in, the edit is being thrown, which means that the energy of the movement of that first shot is carried over to the second shot. No, I mean right at the beginning, at 0-0, and then the cut is at 1. Gotcha. Right, so Taturo's kind of this obstacle that he's running into. Like, there's movement, you cut to a stationary shot, and that implies... Well, it's cutting to a moving uh, shot that stops. That's the key, right. I think. It's a great way to um, carry energy forward from one shot to the other. Right, right, they're both moving, yeah. And um, that's a really nice little error. You could, I mean, I'm sure they shot both shots as a complete dolly or pan. I can't quite tell whether the Totoro shot is a dolly as well. But um, Mm -hmm. the first one certainly is. And the original 10 probably was, the original intent probably was to um, just keep staying on Lee much longer and have him like complete that entire movement of the shot. And then in the edit, I, they might have decided it's much more important to see uh, Tutor's reaction as he walks in. because the Yeah, and like we say, good directors are covering things in a lot of different ways and providing shots that are providing opportunities for a lot of stuff. But I also think there is a lot of value to the fact of that shot being moving and coming to a stop on Turturro. It just has, it just really adds to his presence, yep. the kind of opposition that he creates in that scene of this you know, boulder that's not going to be moved. 
Exactly. Um, yeah, very good. It's basically mm. it, he walks into the store like leisure, leisurely and relaxed, and gets stopped right away. Like yeah, right. He's getting <laughs> called by out by the punk son of this guy. So that's something that I immediately noticed. I thought that was an excellent way to um, use editing to support mm -hmm. what's going on in the scene. Yeah, that that very likely is discovered in the editing. Yeah. Like you're making the point. Is there something you noticed? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Just kidding. My favorite, my favorite thing about this scene, the the reason I wanted to, to that I chose it to talk about was that they use very obvious, like take you out of the moment kind of editing. That I think, regardless of anyone's editing background or understanding of filmmaking, is going to notice this going on, and that's around. 150 where they get into this back and forth and the cutting gets really fast yep. specifically at like 157 um and i just think that's that's a really neat stylistic choice and then you know it gets fast and then aiello has to break it up um so it's almost the editing gets calmed down by the characters it's a great way to kind of use pacing to have a little fun with it to change it up on the audience to put them kind of in the in the heat of this moment and it's also oddly it creates a comedic feel to it like it's a little bit of a silly argument the arguments will be much less silly later and later and later in the film but it's kind of a fun way to kind of play with that tension and and horse around with it a little bit and to make really strong editing choices that are obvious editing choices that enhance the film that it's only being done because of the editing the editing becomes the star in that moment Yep. You know what I also noticed throughout that scene is the lack of J and L cuts. There are some in there for sure, but mostly mm -hmm. predominantly we're cutting to whoever is talking next before they start talking. And at the beginning I was like really like, oh, is this is this an inexperienced filmmaker that is sort of trying is not aware that you like can smooth out some of the edits and make it feel more organic. If you mm -hmm. if you really like wait for the actor to start talking before you make the cut because it sort of simulates a head turn like somebody in the room you don't know who is going to start talking we're here we perk up we turn our head we look at them cut right that's sort of a typical J cut that really becomes a very smooth way of creating dialogue scenes in here I feel like very clearly it's not cut that way. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what the intended is. It to just emphasize the fact that they're all sort of arguing with each other. Well, I mean, regardless, I mean, I think it's fun that the filmmaker is making really stylized choices. And I think some of that. I don't think that's an inexperienced thing. I think that's, you know, someone that's young and starting out and like really willing to take some risks and try some stuff, which is really exciting. And there's cool stylization throughout this entire film. That's for sure kind of playing with the artifice of the medium of filmmaking in the same way Scorsese he does in a lot of his stuff especially the early stuff and you know a couple ny a couple nyu students as filmmakers um and then you know you see that to some extent in his most recent movie in, in black Klansman, but overall it's a much smoother kind of cohesive feel yep and he's kind of found a way to maybe not make it pop so much even though that works really 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 well for for this particular film yep and what he's doing well, I mean, I have to say, admittedly, it threw me a little bit. Like, once I start paying attention to it, then I'm like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know if I would have cut it that way. 
but um, and he may not either but i think it was done with with purpose yeah like now he might not yeah. be as grating with it and then it becomes like i become super aware of it at that moment where you're talking about like they're getting into this argument and it goes really really fast um yeah and that's what makes that really stand out because that arguably that could have been smoothed out with the tricks you're talking about and not feel so cutty. Or you have it be smooth before we get to the argument and then you are yeah. really, really cutty. Then you may be even making more of an impact as well. Yeah, it's like there's this escalation of of unsmoothness and then once it's broken up at two minutes... Yeah. It's hard to I mean it's hard to say what the intent is. We never really know what the intent is. We can just sort of see what what's going on and I would never say okay this is terrible or that you should do this better because obviously that doesn't help anybody and that film is clearly a masterpiece and it's working on all levels. Well yeah, I don't think I mean we're just yes, yeah, just pointing out techniques and the effect they have and I think that the not understanding the intent kind of goes with the theme of the whole movie. Right yeah. there's at no point are you really being hit over the head with a hammer about anything. Yeah, um, you're just kind of being exposed to stuff, and so this this style lends itself to that. Yeah, did you notice anything about Spike Lee's performance in comparison to everybody else? Um, <clears throat> uh, what in this scene? In this scene. Uh, what do you mean? I don't know. Just asking. Not really. Okay. I mean, he is a little more maybe kind of like leaning towards the fourth wall a little bit, or I don't know. Maybe not. What do you... <laughs> he's wearing a Dodgers jersey? No, 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 no. I feel like he's way more... Like everybody else is like very... I don't know. I feel like his acting is off. Like it feels well, a little like he's... I can see Spike Lee, the director, standing there. Sure, but you're dealing with someone, you know, who's like acting in, you know, their second or third third feature he's made in in the lead role, and and that's kind of the thing I think with this movie is you're surrounded by yeah. people like Turturro and Aiello that are just very real and grounded in there. That's kind of some of the fun of the character is that he's yeah. I, I don't feel, know. I would say it's probably more naturalistic while everybody else is a little bit more um like in the world of the film i don't want to say right spike lee is not the greatest actor on earth is what you're saying (laughs) in that moment i felt like i mean there are other moments where i think he's just really amazing especially when he like talks straight into the camera and he just tells us what's up I think he nailed that stuff. Right, but that's kind of an interesting thing because of his presence and his particular charisma and what this character needs. It's kind of one of those interesting things with casting where it's like, well, is there anyone that could ever have done this better than Spike Lee? And I don't see how anyone could do Mookie better just because he's he's it for that character. Right, just for what he brings to it. He brings like a whole different quality to it that you're maybe not going to get if you're casting it, you know, I don't know out of the New York acting scene or something. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very different than Giancarlo Esposito, who I didn't even, who just seems just like Spike Lee, just like a regular dude who I didn't even realize was him. Yeah, yeah so I don't know. Yeah, go ahead, throw Spike Lee under the bus. <laughs> so, but it does, you know, but I think that's the whole thing with this film, with the film that is this this stylized. And it's fun to think about as filmmakers, especially as 
YouTube filmmakers that are using social media and using their online presence and putting that into their projects and stuff, sometimes there's something about that presence that's far more important than, you know, what Daniel Day-Lewis is going to bring to a room with the view or something like that. Yep, I agree. I think there is some roughness in that scene here that definitely um, can be noticed, but it's it helps the film, actually. I think it gives that film more authenticity. Yeah, and it's hard not to be a little out of it. You know, I mean, you're dealing with, you know, so much money and... <laughs> It's his third feature. There's probably so much on the line. It's amazing that he could even walk into the film without vomiting everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And um, this might have been like a scene they shot really early on. This could be day one, day two, where he's also sort yeah. of just finding, finding The fact that way. he's that age and that young and making this great of a film and not sweating literal bullets, that's performance in, in and of itself. Totally. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this scene, Sven? No, those are, were the things that I noticed um, about this. I think then I saw a couple of other scenes where it really, really was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, for example, later on in the film, they open up the pizzeria one more time to let, like, the regulars come in. And then there's this group of people with, a, with like, a boombox that walk mm-hmm. in and Aiello smashes the boombox. That whole scene, oh, the way, way is shot... Sorry, like the Dutch angles <laughs> and the way it's cut, and th- at that point they're just all sweaty. I mean, it's it's great, great filmmaking, very, very stylistic. Yeah, and also that's one of the things throughout this film was the heat is rising through this entire story, and he kind of mimics some of Hitchcock's techniques yep. and would would warp the image and stuff like that to reflect that and affect that in the color correction. And it's really kind of a bummer also, just to me, like seeing what an epic like masterpiece this movie is. And I can't imagine he had a bigger budget for this than he did for you know some of the more recent stuff, but there's just something you know about being shot on film and being in the real place, and he's just able to pull off so much that I think... I'm not talking about Spike Lee specifically, but there's just the quality of this low budget indie versus so many that are made nowadays. It's kind of, it's, it's a little sad that, you know, we aren't realizing the importance of film stock and the quality that has and the enduring, enduring quality that has, because this movie holds up in such an impressive way. Yep. Yep. And there's another great film that he recently premiered at South by that I, fortunate to see and it was called Passover and I can highly recommend that film because it's kind of a smaller thing because it was just basically a taping of a play but I really thought mm-hmm. that it um, was something very remarkable too where he sort of has that same message yeah and it's funny Spike Lee's like, just seems like the most gone after director in the history of films, for how talented he is, it's so funny that the grief that he gets for his films is pretty remarkable. Maybe it's because he's a challenging voice or something like that, but I'm always kind of stunned at the willingness for people to go after him among certain critics and stuff. Not me. Maybe for Except his acting. For his performance. <laughs> <laughs> just his his ability to, maybe it's just being a challenging person that's not going to settle is, is, you know, that's going to invite criticism and he takes it on so good stuff and he hasn't lost a beat because black Klansman is great also yep awesome cool so next week film struck sven for sure please listeners 
suggest a movie that's on Filmstruck, and we'll take yeah. a look at it. But uh, time wise, I don't know how this is going to happen, but but we'll see. And uh, maybe in two. Let's weeks. hope something. Sh- yeah, and it, well, it'll be gone by then. Um, it's gone at the end of this month. Yeah, but it'll be gone. our procession. It'll be our funeral. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you to Curtis for the music. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, then by all means, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Let a friend know about the podcast. you got a friend who likes to do the right thing or thinks about doing the right thing. Let them know that we're talking about Do the Right Thing and Spike Lee. And check out Do the Right Thing. It's a great movie. Which is doing the right thing. <laughs> There's a link that you can uh, check out, which is thisguyedits.com slash podcast, and it'll take you to all the different ways how you can subscribe to this podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Very cool. Once again, thank you to Curta for the music, Curta Music, and as Sven always says, and thank you to Dennis for the great video. Yes, thank you, Dennis, and happy editing. Put your head between the speakers. There's no sane zone, so put your head between the speakers. All right. Cool beans. We did it. Yeah, I was worried that was going to go much longer. How long was it? <laughs> yeah. No, there wasn't that much in the scene itself. Just like the three things that I noticed. I don't know. All right, I'm turning off. <laughs> <laughs>